Hey, Kate. Yeah? Do we give legal advice on this podcast? Oh, gosh, no. Hostile work environment. Exactly. Hey, inappropriate workplace topic. Hostile work environment. I'm the human resources director. Little Miss Hostile Work Environment. Hello. Welcome to the Hostile Work Environment podcast. My name is Mark Alifans. I'm here as always, as I always introduce with the exact same words. <laughs> yes. My colleague, friend, podcasting partner, Kate Bischoff. Kate, how are you today? Well, I can breathe. And I not mean because I've had COVID, but like there... <laughs> It is now time to move on for the country. I feel like I can breathe. I drank a lot of Prosecco. So, yes. <laughs> That's right. My, How are you? I have, I, I'm great. I, I, I mean, I, you know, uh, in the same sense that, that, that you were just talking about drinking bubbly alcoholic beverages, I, you know, I've got a nice, I'm a wino. I have a pretty nice rack of wine on the wall. And the whole bottom row of it is all foil-capped, sparkling beverages. Mm. And we went through a good chunk of them over the last last week or so. Uh, so we mm -hmm. feel pretty good about that. Um, and, uh, you know, we just got through. We, we're, we're in the Portland fall now, so we have no light and we have rain <laughs> constantly. But for the moment, it's just Looks a like high cloud layer. We have a little bit of sun coming in. Uh, and, uh, it's, it's Sunday and I'm going to try to get outside and go for a walk and clear my mind after we're done recording today. So, uh, Sounds lovely. Uh, as far as things go, no complaints. Um, it's interesting two weeks later now yes. to think back on what we recorded two weeks ago <laughs> in terms of our hopes and dreams and prognostications and, in the end, I don't think it's everything we were hoping for. No. But it is a significant step forward, or at least preventing further steps backwards. Yes. I will go with preventing further steps backwards. And I, you know, I have a lot of hopes if we give everybody a chance. Um, there, it, it is possible. Likely, I don't know, but things are possible at this point in time. I will leave my house for the first time uh, in eight months because I did buy plane tickets and my girlfriend got a hotel to go to the inauguration. So. Oh. Mm -hmm. That should be interesting. Yes. I'm going to stand hope, on that big that... White, white piece of plastic and say, this is me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really hope that uh, case numbers are starting to diminish by then and that we start having some common sense. As I say this as someone who, like you, other than, you know, extremely isolated trips to family members uh, or extended stays with, with, with my in-laws, uh, have really not left the house since March. And I, I have yeah. a feeling that you and I, in saying that, are outliers, <laughs> generally, um, <laughs> But uh, the numbers are so bad, and the government oh, has given up on any leadership, uh, and it's it's just so disheartening that for folks uh, like us who have really stayed at home and and because we can, and we're privileged enough to be able to do that, and I want right. to call that out. Right. Uh, but 
and really who I'm talking about here that I'm, I'm not happy about are the people who are actively fighting against doing anything about this, like wearing masks. Uh, right. it's, it's really disheartening as we move into the dark as a literal, like how much light we get every day, uh, part of the year that, uh, we're yeah. really going to continue to be stuck at home for the foreseeable future. And even once a vaccine comes out, which I expect we'll hear some news sometime over the winter that something's been approved, uh, it's going to take four to six months before it even can ramp up to get to the most vulnerable, let alone those who are less vulnerable. Uh, exactly. So we've got a long road. Uh, so a I long thought, road. yes, absolutely. Uh, I thought we would start today uh, by just, we, we touched on the election a little bit, but I thought it would be good just to, just to ballpark out a, a little bit, just for a minute or two. We last episode, we made some prognostications, some predictions around what we would see being different in a Biden administration uh, from an employment law standpoint. And I made the comment somewhere in the middle of that conversation that that was something to the effect of now, guys, this all this all hinges on on winning the Senate, too. And if if the Democrats don't win the Senate, then there's less that Biden will be able to accomplish. And yes. while I have hopes for Georgia and that this issue has not been actually decided yet, I have some skepticism, mm -hmm. all right, and, and some realistic expectations. Uh, and I think there might be a realistic expectation for one of the two. I'm, I'm hoping for two, but I don't think it's likely. And in that case, sorry, go ahead. You want to well, disagree think, with me? Make me feel make me feel more hope. <laughs> well, I did text banking yesterday. Uh, I will continue to do that. The letter writing, all that kind of stuff, will go into Georgia. Um, my, I agree with you that it is even if both Reverend Warnock and Mr. Ossoff are in the Senate, it's still only fifty-one. Uh, Joe Manchin is always a hard get, so I think they're still. That's, it's actually it's, it, it's actually 50 50 and then you need kamala breaking the vote breaking right. the tie but, but right, mansion right, right. mansion could throw a wrench in the works on certain issues um there's also the opportunity and i think like you know we used to hear about the gang of 12 or the gang of six or the gang of however many senators <laughs> that were kind of moderates yeah. on both parties who could help set the agenda well i'm hoping that if it's that close here that maybe we start to see some some gang of five or six that would include some of the more conservative Democrats like Manchin and some of the more moderate Republicans like Romney, uh, Collins, yeah, uh, yeah. Come, or Murkowski. Name more, because I, I'm not sure there are a lot of those. Yeah, right. Well, there's three that I think you can <laughs> reasonably put on that list. Uh, and okay. And I wonder if, you know, uh, Romney doesn't have the ability in particular, especially if it's, if, it, if it's close to tie. I mean, if it ends up 52, 48, it's less, less likely, but if, if you get 51, 49 or whatever, all it takes is mm -hmm. one to flip, uh, Romney finds himself not being president, which he had aspired to be, but he finds himself in an extremely powerful position nationally. Uh, Absolutely. And, and if I'm him, I'm looking at how do I unify the country as someone who I believe is actually probably a little bit more moderate than he projects because, you know, he could be more of a moderate when he was Republican in Massachusetts uh, right. as the governor, but has to be a little less so as a senator from Utah. So. Right. Well, and then we saw some <laughs> massive ballot initiatives, even from states that are so red 
that it's kind of remarkable of how they've gotten. Now, I will say that Georgia was, or that Florida was not on my map. I did not give Florida, I did not make it blue. But Florida, there was murmurings of that happening. But Florida goes all red with the exception of a $15 minimum wage. What right? is that? So, so I mean, it's one of those things. And, and again, this, this, this touches on a broader theme around the ballot initiatives, which is so interesting uh, in that if you take the presidential election out of, out of the picture for the moment and you look at how things went in this election, they turned to the right. They turned red. Like, so the Democrats lost seats in the yes. House. They, they were expected to pick up so many Senate seats mm -hmm. and, and only picked up a couple while still losing one. And so many areas turned to the right and actually gave more endorsement to Republican Congress people and in state legislatures, too. State legislatures, there were a number that were expected to flip to the Democrats, and none of them did. Yep. Yep. So, so the juxtaposition of that against ballot initiatives is fascinating <laughs> because yes. you have these very liberal some might even say borderline socialist style ballot initiatives, and almost all of them won, mm -hmm. which tells me there's a disconnect in the electorate between what they perceive from their elected officials and what the elected officials would support and what they actually support in their real lives, which is fascinating yeah. when you get into direct democracy and that kind of stuff. So, yep. so, like, so we get $15 minimum wage in Florida. What else? Uh, surprised so, you or touches on employment? Uh, what surprised me the most were five states and weed, man. Weed. Uh, yeah, we've got New Jersey, Montana. Right. South Dakota, which I don't think they allow the color blue in that state. No offense, Wendy. But I really don't think like that whole <laughs> state is red. And then we've got Mississippi doing medicinal and what's my last state? New Jersey. Oh, you told Montana, them to me before. New Jersey, Montana. Oh, Arizona. Oh, in Arizona. Going recreational. Arizona. So, I mean, the amount of people who have already called me to say, can you do a seminar about weed in our workplace? Uh, I'm like, yep, because, you know, from I'm in Minneapolis, which is on the kind of the eastern side of Minnesota. South Dakota is two and a half, three hours away from me, okay? If you're in North Dakota, your southern border and your western border now with Montana. So it's, it's fascinating about how this is going to get rolled out. But the, just the shifting attitudes, super red state saying, yeah, we go. That's also fascinating. Yeah. And then and there's just, your state. Then there's my state, Oregon. Uh, where not not only have I mean weed's been you know legal on a state level here for years now. I was telling Kate before we 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 started recording that I mean I think for me to drive into town from where I live, I think I pass at least four dispensaries. And and we're not talking about resident. I mean it's just along you know kind of an industrial road. Uh, they're everywhere. They're on every corner here. So it's become quite. Mm -hmm. uh, just entrenched into the local economy and generates a significant amount of taxes and helps the state government uh, with a lot of uh, funding and initiatives, uh, which is great. Uh, and so far, we haven't seen any sort of attendant like like pot related traffic accidents or 
or other. I mean, it's. Yeah, I haven't. Well, Washington and Colorado both did a bunch of studies when they legalized marijuana. And what they found was is that weed only didn't cause as many accidents. They found, though, that weed mixed with alcohol, yes, those were an increase in accidents. Yes. Then yeah. uh, when Canada went full recreational, ADP did a, a study with its customer base in Canada, which ADP is huge. And they found that like 77% of respondents found that weed had not impacted productivity or attendance. Yeah. That's success right there. Yeah. That, no, it's you know, great. It's not affecting those things. So. Yeah. So not only have we, have we had that here for a while, we also um, decriminalized uh, pretty much all other schedule one drugs on a state level. So, uh, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so it would be incumbent now on the feds to continue enforcement on any of those. They don't really enforce on pot, which is why states are, are moving in this direction, but they still enforce in other. But on the state level, we've decriminalized most drugs. And there's now an initiative in place, I believe even with some funding, for uh, studying uh, the effects, small microdoses of magic mushrooms. I think it was psilocybin, I think is what it's called. And uh uh, that's also leading the way compared to pretty much any other state. Uh, so, you know, but we were already left and, and uh, put those sorts of ballot initiatives to our population here in Oregon, and it will move even further left. Well, so let me ask you a question about that. Is it that you can have drugs for personal use, that that's what's the part that's de- been decriminalized? Because I'm sure you can you still sell it and that be illegal? I don't think so. I don't think so. Okay. I, don't, I didn't. I didn't look into it closely enough okay. um, for for that level of detail, especially not in preparation for our employment law podcast. <laughs> uh, yes, but I, I know it's been decriminalized. I I imagine, and it's. I believe it's still true at c- certain levels with other drugs, including pot. That if you are selling certain amounts Definitely. of it as, as an individual, without you know, there might be a licensing. Uh, component i'm sure we'll have some oregon people who will tell me just how wrong i am about all of that uh who listen to the podcast please feel free to set me straight on this as i'm also not going to commit to taking the time to to find out between now and our next episode right like in minneapolis pot has been decriminalized for personal use you still can't sell it but you can possess whatever you're going to consume but where are you getting it from yeah fair (laughs) but right well i mean you have there's a transaction in there somewhere right and you have to get it to minneapolis right so there's all the laws that come up when until you get it in the city right right yeah so uh interesting though just as a as as to end the note on that conversation that that uh from an employment standpoint and just societally uh when you actually put direct democracy to people they're all left wingers Mm mm-hmm um, it's a message to a certain extent for, to a certain extent there yeah. might there might have been some stuff in california that didn't go quite that way but well uh, and gonna... the, we should spend just a hot second on the ballot yeah. initiative in california about independent contractors yeah. and that it's okay to be an independent contractor for uber lyft you know instacart all of those they're not folks. all they're not all just employees right however there are additional protections for them, including you can't work more than 12 hours a day, that there'll be uh, protections for harassment and discrimination and those kinds of things. So that's forward yes. progress. It's not it full is. employment, it is. but Fair. it is for progress, including medical benefits and that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Fun. Yeah. Fun no, fun. there were some positives that came out of it. All right. So I have uh, two 
uh, stories prepared for us today. Uh, I, I So I think we'll start with another election-related story. And, okay. and one of my... One of my favorite sources of material now and before for the podcast <laughs> is Reddit, uh, especially the r slash legal advice and the r slash employment law and the r slash human resources. Um, also, you know, r slash am I the asshole is great just for general Fun. and occasionally interesting uh, employment stuff, too. So this was an r slash legal advice. I'm trying to see how old it is, but um, uh, I'm not. Oh, that, this is only 12 hours old. It's already been okay. locked. It's already been like 3,000 3, times. So this is new. So the headline on it, uh, this was uh, posted by user slash Roboys, B-O-Y-Z. Uh, wife was demoted based off her post on Facebook about who she voted for. Her boss stated that she is, quote, untrustworthy when issuing the email Ooh. as a, quote, heads up notification. That's the headline. Then, uh, as stated, this is kind of the body of the post. As stated, my wife has been working as a secretary in the private sector. We live in California, and the business owner made a requirement for employees on all levels to vote. Interesting. Can an employer enforce oh. all force all employees to vote? Um, now he now he notes how would they check this without the employee telling them is beyond me. You know, Naturally, you could buy the stickers in bulk. Right, right. <laughs> Naturally, she voted Dem, has for the past four primaries and two elections. She doesn't say anything negative towards either side, but instead says she wants this election to be over with so we can move on. Nothing outside of that was said, but a week after that was posted, she received not one, but three emails from people in the executive office of her workplace, all saying that she is unprofessional and will be punished. Her annual salary has now dropped 7000 total <gasps> before overtime, and she's now demoted to an entry-level position, even given her bachelor's in business, and we will struggle financially to balance this change since it has been so sudden. Is there some sort of way to fight back against this? Having to apply elsewhere is her main concern because she's been at this company for eight years now and has made a lot of connections to her colleagues. Any advice would be beneficial. Now, there's there's... 96 comments it's been locked because people people suck uh especially it's like don't read the comments and and i love reading the comments on here because you know there's there's an abbreviation uh uh i-a-a-l i am not a lawyer or, or i am oh, a lawyer okay. r-i-a-n-a-l i am not a lawyer uh, and so so many of these are like i am not a lawyer but let me give you all of this advice and it's totally wrong <laughs> um not now some of it's very some of it's very good advice um and you know there's lots of people saying well find a lawyer and talk to a lawyer in the state mm -hmm. now uh i just found this to be interesting because it touches on a protected potential protected class that we have talked about on the podcast before but it's not one that really gets a lot of airtime which is are your political affiliations or political activities protected what do you in think California? kate in California, they are, as well as uh, they are if you're a government employee, that activity is provided. Yes. It doesn't create a conflict of interest. Your political activity is protected as a government employee, whether it's you're working for a state university or college, whether it is a school board, whether it is a school district, school district or yep. 
even state, all of that is protected if you are a public employee. Now, as a private employee, generally you can be let go because of your political activities, but there is certainly a public policy provision right. that might be able to protect you there, right? Right. Now, there's a few states like California that have this, this written right into their state uh, code protecting political activities. Um, sometimes it's political activities, but not affiliation. Sometimes it's both. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. But I would say that in most states, there is this ability to to file a lawsuit that I was I was terminated or demoted in this case in violation of public policy of an you know mm -hmm. uh, well established or articulated public policy and generally speaking you know the freedom to vote and have whatever political affiliation you want in your personal life is considered pretty important so I think some judges some courts would look upon that argument kindly and so even if this person was not in California I'd be advising you know. Check, check with mm -hmm. a lawyer, see what your protections are in your state. Uh, and that, that public policy uh, claim may be the way to go if, you want, if you're really angry and you want to do something about it. But yeah. in California, I think it's even stronger here. Now, who knows sure. what the employer will say back, but you right. know, this isn't like well, an open and shut case. But Well, and, and there are limits to that public policy piece of it. Because remember right. the woman on a bike, Julie Brickman? I want to say yes who flipped off who, the president yes and she's now got elected to some public board yes I, I'm yes, not yes i like, remember that she's a county commissioner yeah, that, that photograph is like iconic that. yeah yes mm -hmm. at one point really was all of us uh but yes. they're they're you know her she filed a lawsuit because she lost her job after that picture and she was not successful in that lawsuit it got garnered her a lot of attention because she right. sued but she was not successful. It was ultimately dismissed. So there are limits to it, but for sure yeah. your act of voting is going to be protected. Right. Um, in fact, you could even, if you were fired because you voted, not necessarily who you voted for, but there's lots of state laws that will protect yeah, you. Yeah, that's, that's going to be a stronger claim than just who you voted for. Right. right. Yeah. So I thought this was interesting employment law and election related. Uh, we're going to finish off today with a really interesting story. Uh, this was in Politico this week um, mm -hmm. on the website. And uh, it is, um, I, guess I, I guess I should ask first, Kate, are you, do you like birds? Are you a birder? Uh, I love the movie, The Birds. <laughs> um. <laughs> so you like killer birds. Okay. Oh, no really i mean i have a very good friend who is terrified of birds like she, mm. like we can't even send her like the funny mug that has all the weird like the blue-footed booby and the tit like you know like the funny yes. bird names that exist out right. there we, we can't even show that to her because she gets angry uh but oh. I, I do like birds i'm not gonna go looking for birds but like a downy woodpecker is very beautiful an actual bluebird i think the female cardinal very pretty so yeah well, I have an aunt who is an avid birder and one point held the record for the most distinct uh, types of birds seen in the state of Connecticut in one year. So that's a claim to fame on the birding front. Um, <laughs> I also have have seen blue-footed boobies, uh, which are very cool, on a trip to the Galapagos years ago. Uh, very cool. But I, 
I would not say that I am a bird, an avid birder or bird aficionado, but uh, I am very familiar with the Audubon Society. Yes. Uh, which yes. is, uh, I guess, just a, an affinity group, a, a, an advocacy group for birds and birders. Yeah. I think generally. of them a little bit like the National Geographic for birds. Right. Exactly. Okay. So uh, you may be surprised to learn that there are 600,000 members of the Audubon Society. So it's humongous. Yes. Uh, I don't have wow. the employee count. That's almost the same size of South Dakota, FYI. Right. <laughs> right. Maybe okay. more like, I think it's like double the size of Wyoming. Oh, maybe. But, yeah. Yeah. South I think Dakota Wyoming is the least. I think it's, sorry. Yeah, eight hundred eighty thousand is the population. Yeah, so it's like it's like one point two Audubon's, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? So, um, so if they're if I'm talking about them on our podcast, it means there's some shit going down with the birders. Oh no! Such a lovely group, right? And it's like you the the last group that you'd expect. Though I did in reading this article hear about that there was also. Uh, a significant issue that I had totally missed a year ago with the Nature Conservancy, where, which is another you know prominent environmental group that was, and and a bunch of leaders were brought down there for turning a blind eye to a culture of sexual culture of sexual harassment. <gasps> I had totally missed that. I'm going to need to go back and and look that up now. Uh, we could do I a whole episode on every on, year, but yeah, I do to the National Conservatory because they protect my rhinos. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. Well, they they also protect sexual harassers. So, dang. Apparently, apparently. All right. So, um, there are claims that uh, high level leadership within the Audubon Society uh, maintains a culture of retaliation, fear, and antagonism towards women and people of color. And Politico did a full on investigation here. So. We've got a few characters here. Uh, one is the president and CEO, David Yarnold, uh, who, I'll just put it out there, denies the claims, and in some ways, in ways that we'll get into, I think, may or may not be compelling, and I'll be interested for your take okay. on that. Um, uh, then we've got Devin Trotter. He was a senior specialist for equity, diversity, and inclusion, who resigned last month claiming that he had faced intimidation and threats from Yarnold. Uh, he has left to go to another organization, uh, reporting to his former boss at the Audubon Society, Dion Ferris, who was the top diversity officer and uh, who was allegedly driven out by criticism from Yarnold and other, super, uh, other superiors. Now, we're not going to get into Ferris's story here because there's less on it and we'd be here all day. Um, but we're going to okay. go through Trotter. But I just wanted to set that groundwork that we now have two high-level diversity and equity employees uh, who have resigned in acrimonious fashion from the Audubon mm. Society. Red flags flying everywhere. Right. So Trotter accuses Yarnold, uh, and Yarnold is a former newspaper editor, uh, and he's led the Audubon Society for 10 years of fostering a workplace that concentrates decision-making among a tight, tight group of mostly white male allies. Okay. All right. Yeah. So okay. there's two primary events I want to talk about here. So the first 
is a survey. And, you know, lots of workplaces do surveys uh, amongst their population. Well, they did a survey uh, for uh, minority communities, uh, employees within the Audubon Society to find out what they think. And so the survey was taken by 121 women, people of color, and members, uh, sorry, members of the LGBTQ community, and people with disabilities and early career professionals uh, who work for the Audubon Society with, with the understanding that their names would not be revealed. Oh. Um, according oh. to Trotter, who oversaw the, the conducting of the survey, 66% of the respondents agreed that, quote, Audubon doesn't create an environment where diverse staff can thrive. And 40% said they have seen team members or superiors stall, deprioritize, or ignore efforts to promote equity, diversity, and inclusion. Those are less than stellar numbers. Less than stellar numbers, Audubon Society. So according to Trotter, Yarnold demanded, after the survey results came out, that he reveal who participated. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> and and allegedly threatened Trotter's job when Trotter refused. Quote, he said, I'm going to get what I want and I am your employer, Trotter said, describing the statements allegedly Yarnold made on April 17th as a, quote, direct threat to my employment and a way to try to intimidate and coerce me into providing the data that was provided to me in confidence. Now, Yarnold sent response to the to the investigation so we have his side of the story here too and he says that he totally denies threatening him uh and and denies insisting that he turn over the names of the employees quote i did say to devon though that i could insist he turn over the complaints he'd received but i wasn't going to because that's not how i manage that is not a great That does not get you out of it. (laughs) No. Um, In fact, if I was doing an investigation of this organization, I would say that's a half admission at that point. Right. Right. So uh, he, Yarnold, rejected the notion that the Audubon uh, community is unfriendly to people of diverse backgrounds while acknowledging that the organization is on a multi-year path to improving its work environment to ensure everyone has the same chance to succeed and feel at home. All right. Okay. Yarnold says well he and here. Trotter, right? Mm-hmm. He and Trotter were both trying to do the right thing in their handling of the diversity survey, but that as CEO, he was legally and morally bound to address workplace harassment and discrimination, which is why he sought more specific information about the employees' complaints. So he's saying, I wanted information. You're saying that there's harassment and discrimination out of this. I want to know who's alleging that so I can look into their complaints and help fix the issue. That's um, not. But yeah. Uh, totally legit normally if your motives are not in question. But right. if your motives are in question, that, again, that looks like I'm admitting half of it, but I found a really good frame to put it in. And so, right. I mean, that's what that looks like to me. Exactly. So, so, so with that, background from April, we now fast forward to August, where a crucial background for tensions at Audubon was a diversity discussion that was conducted by a consulting firm which had a past connection with Yarnold. 
and many employees were offended by what they saw as stereotypes expressed during the slideshow. Um, and in a note to staff, Yarnold acknowledged that while Audubon officials had reviewed the presentation, no one in the organization had cleared the slides. But I would say if you reviewed it and didn't say anything, then that's effectively clearing the slides. Now, yeah, exactly. You can't see this, but I have one of the slides. Okay. And it is, it? It, it, is, it is on a white background. It's a PowerPoint slide, you know, and it's got a, a woman, probably middle-aged woman, very nicely dressed on the one side and it looks like she's like speaking like her mouth's like slightly open like she's saying words okay and the title of the slide is workplace suggestions and then it's got a header females <gasps> and it and it says sub bullet point one men want respect and praise <laughs> okay yeah, no. And the second no, bullet no. point, prefer clearly defined expectations. I uh, mean, that's fair for anyone. For that, anyone. Right? But to yeah. say that that's specific about men, and then at the bottom it says, and it kind of repeats it, in very, it's kind of like this, like, text, like, very, like, you know, almost like a, like, um, you know, like the, the, the text that runs across the bottom on like MSNBC or CNN, yeah, yeah, yeah. it says also it, uh, keep in mind that men prefer clearly defined expectations rather than indirect communication. Now, this is the only <laughs> slide that I could get my hands on, but I have to imagine that the next slide has a picture of a man with his mouth man. slightly open and it says males. <laughs> and then it has a whole bunch of sexist stuff about females. Women. Yep. Yep. So uh, that, that's crazy. All right. So, Apparently, uh, lots of people were offended by this, understandably so. Yep. Um, so at least here with this particular part of the story, uh, it seems that they, they took the, the organization t did, despite what I said before that, you know, they kind of tried to get themselves off the hook by saying we never cleared the slides. They did take some responsibility. So, so they said in a note, things did not go as planned. We've heard from many attendees who viewed the consultant slides and reported a litany of inappropriate and harmful stereotypes about people. Audubon staff were hurt and shocked by some of the language, concepts, assumptions, and, and the facilitation approach used by the consultants. We are deeply sorry. So that, I, I like seeing that, right? Like, I uh -huh. like getting the actual apology. We disavow yep. the hurtful stereotypes and characterizations that were presented last week and in the follow-up material. None of those materials represent the views of the National Audubon Society or its management team, including the two of us. Because this came from Yarnold okay. and one of the other executives. So okay. I thought that was, that was good, all right? But mm -hmm. these two events are simply a broader backdrop of a of, of a larger situation going on there that has some more specific concerns. Mm -hmm. One employee reports, and these are from interviews that Politico did with, with a, uh, about a dozen employees. One employee reported being rebuffed by superiors after complaining about being on the receiving end of a racist comment by a contractor. An Audubon spokesperson, however, shared an email from Yarnold that disputed that account in which Yarnold said the society contacted the partner organization and that the person who made the comment was fired. So if that's true, that's good, but why good. does this employee feel rebuffed? So um, Yarnold further discussed the matter in an email to staff emphasizing that employees can leave any venue 
where they feel attacked or uncomfortable. So again, that's a good response. And it looks like there's documentary evidence of it. And so, so I, I would take a middle ground response on that, which is, I don't like that this employee still doesn't feel like it was handled appropriately, but it, it does appear that what was put out publicly was reassuring and, 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 and on a broader sense, an appropriate response, assuming it's true. Yes. Yes. I mean, there's, there's a, you never can make everyone happy. Right. However, you know, you're, there's also potentially here, the ship has sailed that we can't trust right. this executive team, right? Well, right. And, and they may have taken appropriate responses in certain instances, but when you add up the number of yeah. people who have concerns and complaints, it speaks to something bigger, right? Yeah. We have another employee said she began raising concerns about not having received a pay raise like her male colleagues, but was discouraged from pursuing the matter through human resources. We have a real culture of retribution and punishment and fear, another woman employee said, speaking on the condition of anonymity to protect her job. One former senior employee said Yarnold retaliated against her after she raised concerns that the organization was using restricted grant money for unintended purposes. She filed a whistleblower complaint to HR about those practices. The filing alleged that Yarnold had made disparaging comments about her to an outside headhunter uh, in what the former employee contended was an attempt to tarnish her reputation. Now, again, Yarnold responds and first says he had a discussion with the funders of that particular funding contract. Uh, who both affirmed that the use of funds was consistent and their intent was entirely appropriate. And the former employee confirmed in writing that the concern had been addressed and presumably has that. Uh, and the board leadership was fully aware of the conversations throughout. So again, if she raised those concerns and they investigated it, they talked to the funders, mm -hmm. everybody's on the same page, the board was aware, and the employee was like, okay, yeah, you're, you're good. Then mm -hmm. again, it's, it's a response that on its face looks appropriate but again, I look at it in the broader context. As mm -hmm. to the alleged retaliation, Yarnold acknowledged the society's executive search consultant reached out for feedback on the employee who had made the complaint. And he said, I gave my honest evaluation so that our search partner could better evaluate candidates for us in the future. We try to have a pretty direct relationship with our partner. So again, I probably knowing that that person had made a complaint, I probably would uh -huh. have if I didn't have nice things to say, I would I have probably in that on. declined yeah. to say anything at all. So Yarnold, for his part, keeps pressing forward uh, or mm. with the organization. Uh, throughout the period of discord, he says, he's kept the Audubon board informed of all of these complaints and his efforts to handle them. Quote, I've been telling our staff, our board, and our constituents that this is a deeply difficult culture change work, but the path leads only forward. We're taking on issues that many for-profits and non-profits duck. Few organizations have the courage to take on change of this magnitude and see it through. This is some of the hardest and riskiest transformation an institution could attempt, but we're fully committed to meeting this American moment. He's a dude that has a lot of good words. But I don't yeah. know that he has, I don't trust them. Yeah. So the one thing that I've discovered about nonprofits is I did not do any nonprofit work or, or, until I was much older. Like I didn't join a nonprofit. I didn't do anything when I was a kid or anything like that. Um, people are wedded to the mission of a nonprofit. 
and it blinds them to a lot of misdeeds that you would normally not be blinded to if you were in a poor for-profit organization. That your yep. desire to make the world a better place or make it so birds survive or all of those things are is so embedded that you're willing to tolerate a lot of bad behavior. And that that some of the stuff that happens in nonprofits probably wouldn't happen in in private sector for fear of liability. But because we right. we're such a good group of people, it couldn't possibly that we're allowing harassment, discrimination, retaliation all to occur. So that that is my general impression of nonprofit. And while, yeah, a lot of change needs to happen in a lot of organizations, your credibility to make that change is critical to the success of it. And this dude yep. has no credibility anymore, right? Am I wrong? I, I think he I think he's got a problem on the credibility front. Yeah. Absolutely. So his, so his heart may be in the right place for where the organization needs to go, but he's not an effective leader at this point in time. So if I was a, a member of the board, I would be considering how do we figure out how to make these changes with a leader that will make a difference. That's what I would right. think. But and and he may be, he may very well be, he, he mean what he said. Yeah. Yeah. But he may not be able to be effective enough to lead through that change. Uh, and so either they would need, a, uh, I think, a new leader or they'd need somebody to to really step in and kind of put him to the side on this, on these questions. Um, yeah. Because he he clearly at best, at best, has a credibility issue. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, I feel for the Audubon. Yeah, no, the, I, clearly the organization is going to the birds. <laughs> Hopefully not the crows. Crow, crow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not in a Hitchcockian kind of way. Right, or a Schitt's Creek kind of way either. So. Right, 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 right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, that's that's what I've got uh, for today. I, I continue to want to implore our listeners to send stories. I do have a few. Yeah. There's a few who sent me great ones, and I just I haven't done them, and I kind of want to have a bank built up again before I start getting back to it again. So those <laughs> of you, one or two of you only, who have sent uh, stories, uh, I am not ignoring you. I did receive them. Uh, I do love the very occasional email we get. I haven't gotten any for the last couple of weeks. Uh, okay. It makes us feel very lonely. Thank so you. please, please email us and talk to us and ask us questions and interact with us uh, so that, you know, I know that there's actual people behind the numbers that we see. We know <laughs> that there's, like, as I've said before, we have plenty of you who listen, uh, but we would love to increase our interaction uh, yes. with you. And so whether that's a story or a question or a comment or or whatever we're it's not like we're wedded to a format here people we just do whatever <laughs> <No>. we want <laughs> exactly exactly so you can you can email us at hwepodcast at gmail.com uh you can find us at hwepodcast uh twitter account which is mostly dormant but it's me and i mostly just tweet from my own account which is at salad pants uh, and and you can interact with us that way, Kate. What what's your your Twitter and handle? other? Yeah, my handle is K the number eight B I S C H. Uh, I love the Twitters. I am 
fully addicted at this point in time. Yeah. I am enjoying not solidly doom scrolling anymore. So because I mm. see flickers of hope. Um, so yes, find me there or on LinkedIn. Um, I'm happy to connect with you all. And even if you shoot us an email, we'd love to talk to you about you. So. All right. So we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Uh, send mm-hmm. us your thoughts, comments, uh, criticisms, harassments, whatever it is that you want. Um, yes. And wash your hands, uh, wear a mask. Wash your hands, wear a mask, <laughs> and stay home unless you absolutely have to. Come on, people. I know our listeners are perfect, so they're all doing mm-hmm. it right. But like, come on, yeah. Every, make everybody else do it too. Yeah. Something like that. Have a good right. couple of weeks, folks. Bye, everyone. Bye.